0: Hello, my name is Peter Jardim-White, and I'm a drama teacher here at Wellingborough School. For many people, the school play is a cornerstone of their most rich and vivid childhood memories. Whether or not a relationship with the performing arts continues into adulthood, it's hard to forget the butterflies, the shaky knees, the thrill of performing for friends, family and teachers. What you're about to hear is a very different kind of school play, an audio play the first in a series of six, created by our Key Stage 3 drama club. Though they aren't about to step out onto wooden boards under brilliant hot lights, I know these students will be feeling the same anticipation, knowing that their art is about to meet its audience. Under the guidance of myself and my colleagues Rebecca Lamberton and Hanali Mystery, this fantastic cast of voice actors and Foley artists have created something which I think is truly magical. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to another ghastly episode of Wellingburian Gothic, a series of chilling audio plays for the festive season, presented by Wellingborough School's Key Stage 3 Drama Club. In this episode, you will hear a performance of the old portrait, adapted from the short story by Hume Nesbitt, which was first published in 1896. We would like to assure our listeners that it is quite safe to listen to Wellingburian Gothic in their artwork, but It is our recommendation that any paintings be covered before one goes to sleep. Old-fashioned frames are a hobby
1: of mine. I'm always on the prowl amongst the framers and dealers in curiosities for something quaint and unique in picture frames. I don't care much for what is inside them. For, being a painter, it is my fancy to get the frames first and then paint a picture which I think suits their probable history and design. In this way, I get some curious, and I think also, some original ideas. One day in December, about a week before Christmas, I picked up a fine but dilapidated specimen of wood carving in a shop near Soho. The gilding had been worn nearly away, and three of the corners broken off. Yet, as there was one of the corners still left, I hoped to be able to repair the others from it. As for the canvas inside the frame, It was so smothered with dirt and time stains that I could only distinguish it had been a very badly painted likeness of some commonplace person. But as the frame was all right, I took the spoiled canvas along with it, thinking it might come in handy. For the next few days, my hands were full of work of one kind or another. So it was only on Christmas Eve that I found myself at liberty to examine my purchase, which had been lying with its face to the wall since I'd brought it back to my studio. Having nothing better to do and not in the mood to go out. I got the picture from the corner, laid it upon the table and, with a sponge, basin of water, and some soap, began to wash it. Both the frame and the picture were in a terrible mess, and I used the best part of a packet of soap powder and had to change the water about a dozen times before the pattern began to show up on the frame. And the portrait within it asserted its awful crudeness, vile drawing, and intense vulgarity. It was the bloated, piggish visage of a publican, with a plentiful supply of jewellery displayed. The frame delighted me, and the picture satisfied me that I had not cheated the dealer with my price. As I was looking at the monstrosity and wondering how the owner could be pleased with himself as thus depicted, something about the background attracted my attention. A slight marking underneath the thin coating, as if the portrait had been painted over some other subject. It was not much, certainly. Yet, enough to make me rush over to the cupboard where I kept my spirits of wine and turpentine, and with a plentiful supply of rags, I began to demolish the publican ruthlessly, in the vague hope that I might find something worth looking at underneath. A slow process that was, as well as a delicate one, so that it was close upon midnight before the gold cable rings and vermilion visage disappeared and another picture loomed before me. I gave it a final washover, wiped it dry, and set it in a good light on my easel while I filled and lit my pipe, and then sat down to look at it. What had I liberated from that vile prison of crude paint? The bust and head of a young woman of uncertain age, merged within a gloom of rich accessories, painted as only a master hand can paint, who is above asserting his knowledge, and who has learnt to cover his technique. It was as perfect and natural in its sombre, yet, quiet dignity as if it had come from the brush of Moroni. A face and neck, perfectly colourless in their pallid whiteness, with the shadows so artfully managed that they could not be seen. An intent face, the delicate nose well-shaped although bloodless lips, and eyes like dark caverns without a spark of light in them, the hair loosely about the head and oval cheeks, massive, silky textured, jet black and lustrous, which hid the upper portion of her brow with the ears and fell in straight and definite waves, leaving the right portion of the transparent neck exposed. The dress and background were symphonies of ebony, yet full of subtle colouring and masterly feeling. A dress of rich, brocaded velvet with a background that represented vast, receding space, wondrously suggestive and awe-inspiring. The figure stood out from the background, as if tangible although having washed it i knew that it had been smoothly painted i noticed that the pallid lips were parted slightly and showed a glimpse of the upper front teeth which added the intent expression of the face it was an eerie looking face that i had resurrected on this midnight hour of christmas eve in its passive validity it looked as if the blood had been drained from the body and that i was gazing upon an open-eyed corpse I also noticed, for the first time, that the frame, in its details, appeared to represent the idea of life and death. What had before looked like scrollwork of flowers and fruit were in fact loathsome snake-like worms twined amongst the charnel house bones, which they half-covered in decorative fashion. A hideous design, in spite of its exquisite workmanship that made me shudder, and wish that I'd left the cleaning to be done by daylight. I am not at all of a nervous temperament, and would have laughed had anyone told me that I was afraid. And yet, as I sat here alone, with that portrait opposite me, in this solitary studio, away from all human contact, for none of the other studios were tenanted on this night, and the janitor had gone on his holiday, I wished that I had spent my evening in a more congenial manner, for in spite of the good fire in the stove and the brilliant gas, That intent face and those haunting eyes were exercising a strange influence upon me. I heard the clocks from the different steeples chime out the last hour of the day, one after the other, like echoes taking up the refrain and dying away in the distance. And still, I sat spellbound, looking at that weird picture. With my neglected pipe in my hand, and a strange lassitude creeping over me. It was the eyes that fixed me now, with the unfathomable depths and absorbing intensity. They gave out no light, but seemed to draw my soul into them, and with it my life and strength as I lay inert before them. Until overpowered, I lost consciousness and dreamt. I thought that the frame was still on the easel with the canvas, But the woman had stepped from them and was approaching me with a floating motion, leaving behind her a vault filled with coffins. Some of them shut down, while others lay or stood upright and open, showing the grisly contents in their decaying and stained cerements. She was with me now, that pallid face touching my face, and those cold, bloodless lips glued to mine with a close, lingering kiss. As I breathed, she seemed to absorb it quickly into herself, giving me back nothing, getting stronger as I was becoming weaker, while the warmth of my contact passed into her and made her glow with vitality. And all at once, the horror of approaching death seized upon me, and with a frantic effort, I flung her from me and started up from the chair. Dazed for a moment, and uncertain of where I was before consciousness returned, and I looked around wildly. The gas was still blazing brightly, while the fire burned ruddy in the stove, by the timepiece on the mantel, I could see that it was half past twelve. The picture and frame were still on the easel, only as I looked at them, the portrait had changed. A hectic flush appeared to have bloomed on the young woman's cheeks, while her eyes glittered with life. And her lips were red and ripe looking, with a drop of blood still on one. In a frenzy of horror, I seized my scraping knife and slashed out the vampire picture. Then, tearing the mutilated fragments out, I crammed them into my stove and watched them frizzle with savage delight. I have that frame still, but I have not yet had the courage to paint a suitable subject for it.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Wellingburian Gothic. Our version of the old portrait was adapted from the short story by Hume Nesbitt. The role of painter was played by Eve. Our theme music was composed and produced by Tommy. And our artwork was created by Adam, Ellie, Ella, Josh, Georgina, Molly and Thomas. This episode of Wellingburean Gothic was directed and produced by Mr White, Mrs Lamberton, and Miss Mystery, with assistance from Max. And I, of course, am your host, Georgina. Join us next week for another chilling Yuletide tale, if your nerves will allow it.